Welcome to Justice Rising, a podcast of the Inner Community Peace and Justice Center, where we explore emerging justice work through story and relationship. I'm your host, Cecilia Flores. Continuing the topic of homelessness and housing, I have an energized and uplifting conversation with the Reverend Kristen Joyner, pastor of community engagement at Bothell United Methodist Church in Bothell, Washington. Kristen shares a story of how her congregation's roots in community transformation have taken their organizing efforts on the issue of housing and homelessness to new heights, and explains why she believes people of faith need to ensure their voices are being heard when decisions are being made about our communities. She closes us out by casting a vision of a community in which every person answers the call to move beyond individual comfort to make real, sustainable change. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Justice Rising. I am so excited to have with us on the podcast, Kristen Joyner, and I will give her an opportunity to introduce herself. Hello, thanks for having me on this podcast. You you talk about some great stuff. Um, I'm Reverend Kristen Joyner. I serve as the pastor of community engagement at Bothell United Methodist Church in Bothell, Washington. And I work to connect the community with the church and the church to the community in all sorts of social issues. That's great. Now, this is kind of part two of our episode where we addressed housing and homelessness and the organizing work on the ground that goes um, into that those efforts. And um, I'd love to hear about your take and maybe a little bit about your story about what inspired you specifically as a member of the clergy um, in your church to get involved Um in the issue um, of housing and all of those efforts in your community. Yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a long story, but um, I'll, I'll try to make it clear and exciting as it is for me. Um, I have grown up in this area and have seen since 2008, 2009, that recession, um, more struggling economically from the residents in this area. The place that we uh, serve in the city of Bothell, we're kind of a regional church, but we've we've not been historically people that have low incomes. And um, after the recession in 2008, 2009, people were starting to struggle and not know where to find help. And they didn't know they could ask for help and they didn't know where to go if they could. And so what became apparent uh, over the years was we were sort of a desert of human services. There just wasn't a lot of places to go when people were struggling. And so uh, I got involved in conversations around, you know, where do people go to go to get help? Uh, we started a, a community kitchen where people would come and have meals. And then I would sit with them and find out there were other things they needed help with. And, we, and I had to learn where the resources were in our community. Um, We started as a congregation having some discussions about where we could best use our resources. Where were the passions in our congregation and where were the resources in our congregation and what were the needs actually in our community and how could we be a part of solutions for that? And we we started learning about housing and homelessness. Um, We're right next to a high school and there was some passion around helping youth who were homeless. We learned in our school district, there were 200 students uh, that listed themselves as homeless. And so we knew we wanted to do something with that. So we started uh, you know, 
working with other agencies in the area, we we felt that the best use of our resources wasn't necessarily to start new things, but to really engage in the things that were already happening to support and accompany youth and young people that were homeless. So we started there. And then um, I heard someone say in our uh, congregation, wow, Bothell United Methodist Church does a lot of great stuff. We're kind of the best kept secret in Bothell. And I thought, <laughs> oh no, we're not supposed to be a secret. It's you know, we're not, <laughs> right? church isn't church if church is a secret. And actually that was my oh. call, one of my one of my clear signals to ministry. And I went to seminary and became ordained in the United Methodist Church as a deacon, which uh, the deacon and the elder track is different in different denominations. But in the United Methodist Church, uh, the deacons are the ones who connect the church to the community and the community to the church. So I do work in the congregation and for the congregation. Um, but uh, my work is about 80% actually in the community, hearing um, what's going on in the in, and particularly in our congregation and from the emphasis that we learned over the years in housing and homelessness. We've Definitely in our King County here uh, near Seattle, around Seattle, have have seen a huge increase in housing issues, housing instability, and homelessness. And so, even in our suburb here in Bothell, we've we've really started to see um, people living outside that we haven't experienced before. So our church has gotten involved in a couple of different ways in uh, in the homelessness um, crisis, trying to be a part of the solutions. And, you know, we've helped open the first winter shelter in this area. Um, we've done, we've supported the county um, requirement to do a point in time count to actually go out and find out how many people are living outside and experience homelessness in our area. So we've supported that. Um, and then our, our major project was realizing we had a resource of land and uh, that had been underutilized for the last 50 years. And uh, we voted as a congregation to sell that land. Um, we, we knew that that land wasn't in a location that was gonna be very big help to, to increasing housing that's affordable. It's zoned single family housing. Uh, we knew that it was zoned for five homes to go in. Um, we sold it to a developer and said, and, and mandated that in those five homes, they each had to have an affordable, um, well, an, an accessory dwelling unit, they call it a casita. Oh. And so mm -hmm. each of those five homes are beautiful homes, they fit in the neighborhood, uh, but they all each have this accessory dwelling unit. So instead of where only five single family homes could go, we made sure that what happened was there's five single family homes that each have an accessory dwelling unit, which increases inventory for smaller living uh, units mm -hmm. in our in our area. So that's one thing. But the reason we did that um, is because we knew that in the downtown area of our city, Bothell, uh, there could be more density. It was near services and it was near transit. And it mm. could be a space of community access. And so where we're kind of tucked away, we wanted to be in the center. And so we're using the money that we got from selling that land into an affordable housing project in downtown Bothell. Um, oh, and, wow. and all, Yeah. And so, and all of that is just to say, you know, we want to be a voice and a, and a church that works to support those who are suffering and where there's big suffering right now in our area is in housing. 
Uh, that's a long answer to, you, wow. to no, your question. I mean, it's, that's it's sure great. I, it. I mean, that's what this podcast is about. So <laughs> the stories. Now, as you were speaking, I have a question because I've, you know, I've also done some organizing in the world of housing and uh, homelessness. And um, you spoke of, you know, growing up in that area and, you know, it not historically being low income and kind of seeing a shift. And um, now how your congregation has become very involved. And um, you mentioned, you know, the ADUs and the affordable housing. I, I've i had experiences um, where, you know, when there's a big shift in the neighborhood or the community, the city, et cetera, um, a lot of people are resistant to kind of things that others might like ADUs. I remember that was like a big thing. You know, people didn't really want extra, uh, you know, housing units when it was just supposed to be, you know, like a single family neighborhood. And there was a lot of resistance to that, particularly um, from congregations that were in neighborhoods that historically just didn't have that much density. They like to have their space. They like to, how how did your congregation, you know, was that something you ever experienced within the uh, congregation and the community? And if so, how did you all navigate that to kind of come out now as such a strong voice and advocate uh, for helping um, in a very concrete way. Yeah, this church started in the late 1800s in this town of Bothell. Wow. And from the very beginning, it was filling gaps uh, in the community where people didn't feel like they belonged or had needs. And so the DNA of this church, you know, includes um, having the first uh you know, fire bell in the city uh, back in the day. It, ha- it has the it started the first library. It started the food bank in the 70s. Boeing was a big employer and, and at that time sort of felt like the only employer in this area. <laughs> and they were kind of going downhill and people were suffering in the 70s. We started a food bank that later became and moved into um, an organization that's called Hope Link that really is kind of the uh, main organization that does uh, human services in our area now. So um, we started the the food kitchen. We've started things in our community that have really um, shown that part of our DNA is to kind of fill those gaps in, in human needs. So when we first started hosting even uh, people living in their cars or people living in our courtyard, um, our congregation wasn't necessarily against it. I mean, they had questions and wanted to understand it, but with, you know, leadership saying this, you know, this is who we are. Um, This is who Jesus has called us to be. Our purpose statement is becoming Christ in the community and our goals are transformed people, transformed relationships and transformed conditions. So we were Mm. really living into our purpose and mission statements. What we did do is have a neighborhood meeting. Um, because there were neighbors who were not happy that we were so welcoming to people that they didn't recognize. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we invited the police department to that meeting. Our, the our current chief was at that meeting um, and the neighbors came to the meeting and we had a conversation about, you know, what their concerns were, how we were going to mitigate those concerns. We we had to um push back on some assumptions that uh, equated homelessness and poverty with criminal activity. Um, mm-hmm. We had to do that when we opened the winter shelter, uh, when we partnered with another church on that as well. So um, 
a lot of it is fear. A lot of it is people's own experiences with what they've experienced. And we had to just say, we want to be your neighbor as well, uh, but we are mm. called to do this. But how can we make this, you know, mutually um, as comfortable as it can be? Our goal wasn't necessarily to make them comfortable, but it was to say, we hear you. And how can we address those concerns? And so there were some some um, systems we put into place so that they could be assured that you know we weren't welcoming um, criminals onto <laughs> to our property, just people that were living outside. That's just so fascinating because I think um, I like what you're saying that it's important to hear each other, right? Because at the end of the day, you're part of the same community and, you know, your neighbors. <laughs> so you don't want to, nobody likes to live in a, a tense situation where it's like us versus you and we're trying to fight over um, what's ours, but really trying to shape collectively how that could look. Were there, um, how did those experiences kind of turn out on the other side? You know, are, are those projects you'd consider a success or maybe were there people who ended up getting involved who were once kind of uh, skeptics? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Especially in that winter shelter experience. And this is not at our church, but through, we are in a Kenmore Bothell interfaith group. And one of the other churches um, was going to host uh, a winter shelter and, you know, a very nearby neighbor was going to fight this. She did not want this there. Uh, it was going to be staffed. It was going to, you know, people were going to sign in. We were going to know who the people were, were that were coming. We're going to be volunteers there. Um, and uh, the neighbor that complained and did, was going to fight this all the way um, sort of lost her fight when the winter shelter opened anyway. And then she came to visit the winter shelter. She saw how it was operating. She sat and ate with the people who were eating. And then she became a volunteer. And, you know, you hear these stories and this transformation. And really, I mean, that's what it's all about, to teach mm. people, you know, these are our neighbors. Uh, you know, sometimes there's a lot of talk of, well, we don't want to, this one I can't, I cannot believe. People say, well, we don't, we don't want homeless people in our area. And so a shelter is going to be stood up and they say, well, we don't want the shelter. And it, you, you can't, you can't not want homeless people and not want help. You, you can't just push people away. These are people in the mm. community. These are our neighbors. We're a healthier community when we help our neighbors. Mm. Um, and so this narrative of these aren't our people, these people need to go somewhere else. These people Ooh. come from somewhere else. It's just not true. And also people that if you don't offer the help in your neighborhood, the people from your neighborhood that are suffering are going to have to go be helped by some other neighborhood. Mm. So what are those neighbors going to say? It's just, uh, it just doesn't make sense. I know that it comes from a place of fear and under misunderstanding. And I, and it comes from a place of, I just don't want this in my world. No, nobody does. Nobody wants people that are experiencing homelessness in their world. Some people are going to help those people and that's what we have to do. We we know that the good neighbor is the one who doesn't ignore the suffering. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I I love those kind of stories, you know, because it uh it really shows I think this need for demystifying some of these common narratives like what you've what you've mentioned or common arguments that we hear. I mean, I've commonly heard the one that you had just said about, you know, they just let's they should go somewhere else. Um, and it's like, but then where should they go? What, like, what, you know, who is 
responsible at the end of the day, you know, as a person of faith, um, I have to believe that I'm somehow responsible in some way. And what is that contribution that I'm called to make as an individual, uh, my congregation as a community and, and all of those things. What, um, as you all, you know, you've, you've mentioned some really amazing projects, you know, that, that y'all have worked from. It started from breakfast and now you're building uh, affordable housing, <laughs> which is like, <laughs> wow, that's, that's huge. What are kind mm-hmm. of your strategies um, in working toward those things? Because I imagine probably at the outset of this all, you didn't imagine that you'd be building <laughs> affordable housing units in downtown. Yeah, I say that maybe you did, you know, maybe you're a big dreamer, but I'd love to hear kind of the pathway yeah, I wish I knew. Uh, for you know, I, I say that a lot. If I'd known what this all entailed, I wouldn't have started in the beginning. Uh, but you know, I think for for me, a lot of it has been I know what the next step is, but I don't really know where it's going to end up. Although this mm. this project that we're calling Bothell Urban, this affordable housing project that we're putting in uh, downtown Bothell, you know, has taken a lot of partnerships. Um, it's taken a lot of conversations, and so I guess when you you ask what our strategies are, I think the strategy is being in the conversation, you know, one of the things I get to do as the pastor of community engagement is make sure I'm at those tables of power where decisions are being made about our communities. I go to city council meetings. I go to the, you know, human services alliance meetings. I go to the nourishing network meetings or have a representative go. Um, I'm, I'm in many regional conversations. I sit on a board for the regional coalition for housing. And so that I can be educated and hear other solutions, hear problems, issues, barriers, learn from all of that, and also network. I mean, networking can't be, you know, underrated in these conversations because we have to. There's no city around here that's, you know, as big as Seattle, obviously. All these little cities can't do all of it all by themselves. Mm -hmm. So they have to work together. And so being in part of these coalitions of cities and partners that that span jurisdictions um, means that, you know, different cities can sort of take responsibility for different aspects. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that they can share resources across jurisdictions. We saw that happen with housing homelessness shelters where, you know, one city agreed to stand up a winter sh- or a, a, a 365 24-7 shelter for single men, whereas mm-hmm. another city agreed to shelter women with kids. Um, and so we know that when cities talk to each other, um, they realize they're not in it alone and they don't have to solve all the problems. Cities don't have enough money to do that or enough knowledge, but together, um, we can do that. And so I I am a partner on some of these things uh, to make sure that, you know, they know that the faith community is watching. When I became interested in in the, the sort of the issues that were happening in our community, I kept saying to myself, where's the faith community voice? Mm-hmm. I, I go to a lot of these meetings and I'm one of maybe the only one or one of very few representatives of the faith community. Now, maybe the individuals there are representing faith communities, but I didn't see any leadership in faith communities in a lot of these discussions at city council meetings and things like that. And so um, there's some strategies, I guess, in just making sure you're listening to the community, 
both in the places of power and the places without power. And then of sharing that with the congregation to say, and who are we going to be in this? That is absolutely, I think, just amazing. The, the, the approach to that and how that's so rooted in the desire to, to be part of the community, right? <laughs> like to not just be uh, kind of an insular, but really understanding that as a congregation, you're part of a wider um, network and also like a wider cause, a bigger purpose, if you will. And I think um, now you mentioned something I, I really think is important to highlight as well is, um, you know, there aren't um, when you enter some of these spaces or at these tables, there there isn't always a, a faith voice or um, a uh, maybe a specifically a clergy voice. And I know um, sometimes it's hard to uh, convince uh, maybe, I don't know if that's the proper word, but you know, I've invited <laughs> pastors and different things and we all know they're very busy. <laughs> they have so many responsibilities as leaders of faith communities um, that are, and then there's some that are maybe hesitant to enter into sp spaces that they perceive to be political spaces, right? Like, <laughs> oh, we don't want to get involved in politics. And uh. what what would you say to, you know, not just clergy, but people of faith who kind of fall into that vein um, of thinking where they they don't want to engage with with politics and they think uh you know faith and politics are should remain separate what do you think about that well that really riles me up so thank oh. you for asking <laughs> uh jesus made it really clear who the important people were who the important people are um jesus was was telling us that the people that are pushed aside the people that are oppressed the woman uh, who's been divorced, the blind person. Um, we, Jesus told us very clearly who the important people were and who we should be spending our time with. Um, we also know that uh, the idea of peace, the good news that was that prophets said was coming, that the true peace was about a wholeness of community and about a connectedness to community. Mm. Um, in our current culture in the city I'm in and the state I'm in and the country I'm in, um, the places of power are very political. It's the city councils. It's the king. It's the county councils. It's the state government. It's the federal government who are making decisions about who's important and who's not important, about who gets housing, about who going back to zoning codes uh, in the cities, who gets housing and who doesn't and where, um, who, who gets benefits who gets assistance? Who who are we supporting? And when those those laws and rules and codes start going against the people that Jesus told us who is mm. important, then the voice of the church needs to be in those conversations. So yes, we need to be political because we need to make sure that where the power is helps the people that need that power. That mm -hmm. equity happens. That's what the that that just resolutions happen to things. Um, if our voice isn't there, then the voice of power and greed and mm -hmm. um, maintaining the status quo is going to win. And so, absolutely, Christians need to be stepping out and 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 voicing who is important because of their faith. So, yeah. Christians need to be political. <laughs> I love that. I just absolutely love that. 
What, um, you know, turning to kind of the more hopeful side, you've, you've been doing this work for quite some time and it, it continues to grow. What are you most, I think, hopeful and excited for um, as you look forward? You know, it's already December. <laughs> so, you know, we're already looking into 2024 and the years to come. And it feels like um, this issue continues to be a problem. Um, yeah. Is there anything that you're super hopeful or excited about that you're seeing, whether that's an energy or a specific effort or initiative um, that you'd like to share? Yes, I am hopeful. And sometimes I forget that. Um, but I do think that people that have the opportunity for power are now finally some of them. Um, I do think there are people in power that are realizing that with more voices that have been suppressed, um, we come up with solutions that are more creative and better for the whole of community. I was in a conversation the other day that I, I'm going to live on this through the season of hope, um, I think, uh, because this made me just, I can't even come up with the word. It warmed my heart, but it was even more than that. It was very hopeful. And that is, I was... Um, the city I'm in, Bothell, and the city next to us, Kenmore, have both recently hired for the first time uh, a human services position. And so what that says is they're finally seeing their budgets and where their money goes as a, as a moral document that implores them to mm -hmm. take care of people uh, who, who need a little assistance right now. So they've both hired this position of human services managers. So that they'll be looking at assessing the needs in the community. So I was invited to a conversation in this local city with, um, with a group of people who are in the human services organizations and agencies that accompany the people in Bothell that need assistance. And so this was not a group of faith, people in faith traditions necessarily, although I'm sure some of them were, but they were from different human services organizations. And then there was me uh, because my voice has been there uh, pushing for a city responsibility to take care of the people that need assistance. And so I was the only faith representative there, but we sat at different tables and our task was one of the, one of the questions the consultant said is at your table, write down the kind of community you want to live in. Now, that could go anyway, any direction. But with, with a collection of people in the human services agencies and organizations, to every person in there wanted to live in a community where people of all ages, all abilities, all cultures, all races, all ethnicities, all gender identities, all sexual identities were seen and heard, felt a place of belonging, and were engaged with each other. What a huge vision that is. That's what they wanted. That's what people want. People want that. And that to me was so hopeful. That's the kind of city I want to live in. Those are the conversations I want to be in. Now, we had a short afternoon. We didn't get to come mm. to the how. How are we going to do that? <laughs> That's their job. But the fact that that's what people want, if we can hold people to that, look, this is what you want. What's going to have to happen? There's going to have to be some push and pull and some people with power are going to have to transfer some power and some people with big voices are going to have to maybe not have their voice so big. We're going to have to, you know, make places that are truly inclusive 
And that doesn't mean, you know, you've heard the phrase of places and inclusive. If you invite people into a space, you're not willing to change. We're going to need to be willing to change. So I, that to me was so exciting and hopeful. And I look forward to more conversations with that room of people <laughs> because I think that's a future uh, we could actually live into. That is so exciting uh to hear i think you know um one just because of how much energy um and up you know joy it it brings you to hear as someone who's been in the work for so long right to kind of see these things happening um on our previous episode with angel she talked about celebrating the little wins right like even if it's not you know you can't solve the problem in one swing it's not a home run but maybe you can get on base yeah and uh that sounds like you're getting on base but it takes work to get there, I wonder, you know, in reflection, um, you know, you mentioned the city finally hired these positions, right? And we talk about largely in the world of organizing and advocacy about budgets being a moral document. Do you think there, there, you know, um, the involvement of not only you and your congregation, but the the larger faith community was a part of that win? I, I'd like to think so. I mean, it's the voices that they hear. Um that are important to them. If no one says anything, then they just assume the status quo is good. Uh, so you, I, that, I think that's, that's that part of being political as a Christian um, about continuing to promote the ideas of working towards the kind of community that the community is saying they want. And so if they hear that enough and know that a congregation, you know, several hundred people um, is being represented, by some voices. Uh, yeah, I do think they understood that as important. I also think um, that every person I've met that works in the city gets it, you know, a little bit. It, mm -hmm. um, at some point, they realize, you know, things are, things are changing, they have power to make things change. And while there are some voices, the loud voices that that will oppose, you know, any change, ridiculous change we had somebody running for city council who was saying no apartments in bothell <laughs> he oh, lives wow. in a single family home he got what he wanted so he doesn't want anybody else to have what they need i guess i don't know i like that was just so such a ridiculous campaign um for him to stand on but he got people to vote for him which is yeah i mean that's that's always the con that's that, kind of more of the scary piece right? isn't it that right? it sounds ridiculous and then you realize oh there's actually uh he got a support portion of people who agrees with that luckily he didn't thinking. win but you know that's why our voices need to be out there to balance that mm. sort of ridiculousness yeah yeah totally and i also think you know um that collaboration is is so important and and sometimes i've seen there's kind of this perception like oh you're in cahoots right with with the 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 politicians or the city or whatever government faction but i've also found that you know um a lot of the times all they receive is complaints right or criticisms no one really shows up to the planning meeting but once the plan is made <laughs> you know people show up in droves to oppose the plan you know and it's kind of like well what do you want us to do and i'm sure you know i've, I've felt that in church <laughs> myself kind of a similar <laughs> situation right where you're trying to do different things and people just they won't volunteer to help do the thing but they'll complain about the thing and um i just wonder you know in terms of long-term goals 
obviously positive changes, improvements um, in Bothell, but also, you know, in, in the state, in the city, in the country, you know, what, what are your, you know, what's the vision? You mentioned kind of the vision that you were very inspired by that you heard. What is the vision that you would like to kind of cast for our listeners that maybe can inspire something within them to take action locally where they are? Wow, that's a big one. I, you know, part of me is uh, because I only have 24 hours in a day and seven days in a week. I, I uh, sometimes focus so much on my regional area and just know I can only do what I can do. Um, but if everybody can only do what they can do, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the vision is to just get everybody to answer their call. Like, what are you being called to do? Do Ooh. that. Um, and, and, and know that your voice matters. You know, that's the thing is, is most, I, I'm going to probably say something that's maybe a little controversial, but I think probably most people are comfortable. And so when people are comfortable, they don't get involved because everything's fine. Mm. And mm. so then when people start to get uncomfortable, that's when they get involved. But if the people that are comfortable would just step out and say some things to support the people that need to be supported, to amplify the voices that need to be amplified, I think that would be my vision is to make is to make sure the the people that are comfortable want that for everyone else and do something Ooh. to make that happen for everyone else. That is absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you so much for, <laughs> I'm like, I've been so, now I'm ready to <laughs> get back in and just that. I mean, I thank you so much oh, for sharing your vision you. and your work and kind of, you know, sparking up, I think a lot of thoughts and um, inspirations within my own heart. And I'm sure our listeners are going to really benefit from listening to this uh, podcast as well. Thank you so much and have a great holiday season. Thanks. You too. All right. Take care. The Inner Community Peace and Justice Center is sponsored by 24 Catholic religious congregations. Grounded in the charisms of our sponsoring congregations and Catholic social teaching, we build community to act for systemic change in our church and world. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Any notes or references from the interview can be found on our website at ipjc.org slash justice rising. You can follow IPJC's work on Instagram at IPJC Seattle. If you like this episode, please consider donating to support our work at IPJC.org, as well as hitting the subscribe button to follow along wherever you get your podcasts.